When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Artisha Bolding, founder of T-Bold Media Group, sat down with me and allowed me to dig around in her personal story of a health and marital crisis. She shared how some significant changes in her life created stress and anxiety, and what began as a cough was also the beginning of her health decline. She'd never had a hospital stay, didn't have a primary care physician, and even had trouble finding her insurance card as she entered into a journey that would include countless doctor visits, medications, and hospital stays, eventually ending up in the ICU. And during part of that ICU stay, she was in a coma. While in the hospital, she prayed to be out of her misery, and what she meant by that was that she wanted to be with Jesus in heaven. At one point throughout her health struggle, she feels the life draining out of her body. She feels her breath leaving her. God even gives her a a glimpse of heaven and then seemingly shuts the door because whenever she comes into consciousness, she's still here present in this life. Artisha calls herself a pew baby, someone who has been raised in the church. But from my own personal reflection, even though we point our children to the Lord, there will come a time in their lives when crisis hits and when they call out to the God that we have pointed them to, he must be real to them in order to move from their ears of hearing about this good God to their heart of knowing that he is indeed who he says he is. Listen in to find out why Artisha defines such an incredibly painful time in her life as a divine pause. You'll discover how it encouraged her to walk boldly into her purpose, why gratitude is so important to her, and the reason she makes it her life mission to point others to the heart of God. Welcome, Artisha. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time and your energy. Sherry, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's going to be a great conversation because God is so good, and I'm excited to reveal for my listeners how good he is in your particular story. Our conversation today is around a 10-day hospital stay, some of it being ICU, and very life-transforming for you where God met you there. But before we get into that, can you tell me a little bit about your life prior to these health issues? I believe you said you were married and working a job 50 or 60 hours a week. That's exactly right. As I was preparing to get married, I moved back to Georgia, which is where I am now. I have been blessed to have corporate gigs and nonprofit gigs. And I came back to Georgia as my grandmother had taken ill. And my fiance at the time, husband now, agreed that this would be a great place to raise our family. And he knew that I wanted to be close to uh, my family, especially my ailing grandmother. Well, Didn't really anticipate or plan for such an awful job market here. So it came to a point where I kind of would take what I could get. And the opportunity presented itself for me to work on a nuclear power construction site. Go figure. (laughs) Construction. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. So I'm all, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm all lipstick extensions and Mm. hard hat. And steel-toed boots, okay? Uh, Yeah, that's a transition. 
Absolutely. And um, it was one of the, and still is actually one of the best paying jobs in the area. But with that, there are definitely trade-offs. And I was working at the start, mandatory 60 hours per week, mandated overtime. Yes. And then as if they were doing us a favor, (laughs) they cut us back to 50. It's like, whoa, stop the press, right? It's so many layers to this year. You and I spoke some, and so I love to get into this. So on top of that, um, already having to be in this old boys club type of job, to be in this whole other arena, to be there for 50 and 60 hours per week. But also, I had a 45-minute commute one way. Also, I was working third shift. So I was reporting to work at 5 p.m. and getting off at 3 a.m. So mentally, socially, and within my family, and especially my household, things became very, very tense. It was a whole different ballgame. A job in general can put the pressure on you. A major shift in the type of work you do will put the pressure on you. Mm -hmm. 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week will put the pressure on you. So what gave or what broke, if you will, or what began to fracture? Oh, there were fractures all over the place. We're talking about a shattered glass here. One of the big aha moments for me, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? Looking back on it, I I did, I knew something was wrong when I began to fall asleep in church. I, I'm what you uh, would call some in my community called pew babies. I was born in church. I've been in church literally my entire life and I always enjoy it. I enjoy the spiritual fulfillment. I enjoy the intellectual Mm. piece of it. And of course, I enjoy the social piece of it. I hadn't fallen asleep in church since I was probably 10 or 11 years old trying to stay up late on a Saturday night watching Mm. videos or something, right? Mm. And so (laughs) I laugh because as a family, sometimes you kind of sit in the same place. So I had a particular section that I sat at all the time. And there was another family that would always kind of sit in front of my family. And the little girl at the time, she was probably two and a half or three years old. She was turned around in my direction. And she was like, Nana, Nana, she's asleep. And she said it so loud. I was like, Children, I swear. (laughs) They say the darndest things, right? (laughs) We'll call you out in a heartbeat. That was just one flag there. So I I was not taking in what I should be, even though I was still loyally in service twice per week, losing sleep to be there because that's what I was used to. And that's what I knew I needed, but I still wasn't taking what I needed from the services, from the instructions through the word of God. And um, on top of that, as far as the household, as you can imagine, my husband and I were on opposite schedules and we were literally like ships passing in the night. We were more like ships passing in the day because when I came home, naturally, I'm going straight to bed. Mm-hmm. And in just a couple of hours, he's preparing to head out for work. So mm-hmm. we we have very little connection at the time. That begins to fracture the relationship. Absolutely. And if I'm honest, because I come from a very long line of very independent women, I've always been 
the type that, you know, I need to make my own money. I need to have my own money. And, you know, I respect you as my husband, but I'm going to kind of make my own decisions and mm. pull my own weight. And with that downturn in the market and just me kind of searching around to try to see what I could do, I become way more dependent on my husband than I was comfortable with, even though the word, you know, says that, you know, he is supposed to be the head of our household. Right. He's rightfully the one to provide. So he was doing what he was supposed to do. But my mindset was very, very off. And so I kind of made up in my mind that when I was at this job making more money that, you know, I would be taking my power back and I just had this whole inner conversation that was really, really warped and it showed and that became a big fracture mm -hmm. in the relationship as well. At the worst of it, at the height of it, we were essentially roommates more so than husband and wife. Just work, sleep, repeat, work, sleep, right. repeat. Even marriages that don't have high pressure, you can get into these grooves where you just begin to take things for granted, or they just become a silent drifting apart, but yes. you have this extra pressure. And to hear you say that you had your own mindset that was warped or against, you know, what God had intended, that's so common. And even I struggled with that at times through the marriage. And I think that's a maturing process with Christ. And as you try to understand what marriage is supposed to be. So thank you for being honest about that, because I know that I can relate to that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The reason I am so transparent and I'm always delighted and grateful for places where I can share my story is so that husbands and wives and even engaged and seeking folks know that, you know, when you have these feelings and you have these challenges, you really are not alone. And what I found is that is one of the tactics of the enemy to try to alienate us, to try to make us feel like we're the first one or we're the only one. And that's almost never the case. Satan wants us to see our, our spouse as the enemy. Yes. And we will buy into that. I bought into that several times throughout 32 years of marriage, thinking God was withholding something good for me. But then again, wasn't that the battle in the Garden of Eden where oh, yes. Adam and Eve thought that God was withholding something from them? Yes, 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 yes. Ooh, that's so deep and that's real. Yes. Yeah, the Garden of Eden is really never that far away when it comes to mankind or humans today. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So you are working 50 to six hours a week. Your relationships are fracturing. The one with your husband is fractured. How does this impact or does it impact? Do you think it had anything to do with the health issues that were that all of a sudden, I don't know about all of a sudden, but that were introduced into your life? Because you said you'd never even had a hospital stay. Correct. And all of a sudden is exactly right. Uh, when this was happening, my very first hospital stay was at the ripe old age of 38. I had never so much as broken a bone, literally never even been in a cast. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that first one was a whopper across this whole ordeal that started um, uh, Thanksgiving season of 2017 and went all the way to uh, Mother's Day season of 2018, I actually spent a total of 26 days in the hospital. Wow. That, that very first time was eight days. And my mom was like, you waited to get this old to go in the right. hospital and you made it a whopper. I said, hey, if I had my choice, 
I would not be here. But mm-hmm. I believe that God uses natural things to mm-hmm. make spiritual things make sense. Because in our finite understanding, we just can't wrap our minds around some things that God is looking to do in the earth and right. looking to produce in our lives. Because we also forget that each and everything that we do, every breath that we take, every moment of our lives is supposed to glorify God. It's supposed to glorify God. And so I believe that I went through this process, number one, for his glory, and number two, to get real crystal clear clarity about my purpose, about my purpose. And I think that these fractures, I love that terminology, with everything and the neglect, really, the Mm. neglect of my purpose as far as ministry, my life as a ministry, right? Uh, My Mm. marriage as a ministry. Mm. I believe that my neglect in those things and the mindset, the road that I was headed down, I do believe that God ordained this as a divine pause for me. Mm. And no, I want to be very clear to anyone who may not be as seasoned in their understanding of these things. I don't want anyone to walk away from this thinking that I'm saying, oh, God made me sick. That is not what I'm saying at all. Because I was very, very ill, literally gravely ill, as you stated, in the ICU multiple times, mm-hmm. in a coma multiple times, flatlined, having to be resuscitated wow. multiple times. We serve a very good God. And no, he did not put any illness on me. I just believe that it was that time at that place in those hospitals, in those moments, provided me with the quiet time to recalibrate, to Mm -hmm. readjust and to realign with why he sent me here, because Mm -hmm. my time really had been wasted. My time really had been wasted. I was a productive citizen. Uh, by all accounts, you know, paid my taxes, paid my bills, donated to charity, all of these things. Mm -hmm. But in Christ's eyes, I could not have been further away from the mark. So you're coming from a knowledge of who God is, but there's even more to know about him. And that's maybe shifting from, or at least what I find myself doing right now and not my particular maturing process, moving from faith and believing that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do into actually loving him, like Mm. knowing him in a love context. Is that something you've seen yourself transition through? Yes and no. My healing process, uh, it may not be the same for everyone, but uh, if I were a doctor, this is what I would be prescribed. At my lowest, I was on seven medications and 24-hour oxygen support. I'm talking about tank, Mm -hmm. concentrator, and I'm very limited on activity outside of the home because I have to be hooked up to this tank. And so with that, I dug my heels in. I actually decided that this illness would not get all of my attention, that God would get all all of my attention. And that for me was the healing process. And you said it exactly right, Sherry, is that I had to move from not just believing that there is a heaven, there is a God, and that um, he will do what he said, that the Bible is true. Because for years, I feel like I checked that box. The Bible tells us not to be too preachy, but the Bible says, if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. And so it's not just about thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill, but Mm. it is about loving your neighbor 
as yourself, loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all of your soul. So I had to transition into that, which means, guess what? I'm not my own anymore. I don't call the shots. Okay, all of my 20s, you know, I'm working, I'm doing everything. I had finished college. And so finally, I'm out from under mom's thumb, right? So I'm calling the shots. No one can tell me what to do. But that's not the life of a believer. We have a permissive will in God, but our best life is when our desires become his desires. When we want to live a life that's pleasing to him, we want to be in his plan and on purpose all the time, no days off. And so that's the transition that I made. And I believe in my heart of hearts that the reason that I healed so quickly is because I had that major shift in my focus. And it is a major shift, I think. Mm -hmm. of going from living your life in faith. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. But there is so much more. I even think that serving God sounds a little invasive to my plans until I loved him and even let him love on me to receive his love as well. It is such a beautiful place to be. What was I waiting so long for? That is absolutely right. And while If I was given the chance to choose those low moments and having to be in the hospital and having all of these doctor bills, all these doctor visits, I wouldn't have chosen that. But on the other side of this, the Mm -hmm. life that I live now, the folks that I'm able to serve, the things that I have access to, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. It's so true because you know him in... A, a way you would have never been able to experience him had you not gone through what you went through with him. So there is value in that struggle, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Even in the pain. And that's the beauty of Christ too, is that in our pain, he brings in his presence and it sustains us despite the pain. The pain might not go anywhere, but God's presence is what sustains us and gets us through that. It's almost like being in the eye of the storm. They say that's the calmest place. God wraps us up. And if we will just tap in to what he is saying and mm-hmm. to that assurance that we're never alone, that he knows the best result and he's guiding us to it all along, then there's nothing that we can't conquer and we we will be able to be sustained through those challenging times. We're in this place right now in the conversation where we're looking kind of back and saying, if I could have chosen differently, I wouldn't have chosen this. Do you have any regrets? None whatsoever. If I had my revisionist pen and I could go back into some of the choices uh, that I made leading up to this, they're definitely, especially socially, and especially God bless my husband. I love Mr. Balding, let me tell you, okay? Mm. (laughs) Because even when I got just very mean, very standoffish, he he remained humble. And I know that he was praying the entire time. In fact, he was right. calling mom behind my back and praying with Was her. he really? Yes. He, he put was. mom on the situation. You know it. You know A praying it. And mother I, yeah. and a praying husband. I'm just so, so thankful for that because I really, really have some things that I would not have done. Some 
words that I would not have said, some places that I wouldn't have gone. I don't regret having to have gone through the sickness, but the things that led up to it in my personal life, if I had to do those things over, I certainly would. That's one Mm -hmm. thing I'll say for sure. If you find that revision pen, would you please give me one? Absolutely. I mean, listen, (laughs) I will try to make as many as I can and pass them out. Okay. (laughs) You want to be a billionaire. That's the way to do it. Give everybody a revision pen. When was your first health concern? Considering you've never had an overnight stay in the hospital, when did you start getting concerned that your health issues were not being resolved? This all started off what I thought were allergies. It was a hay fever season. It was October And I was at work and I was just coughing a lot and people were looking around, you know, especially on an open work site, people get all kinds of germs and everything. And so some of my teammates thought that I had a flu bug or a bad cold. And I assured them because I didn't have any of those systems. I just had this terrible hacking cough and this kind of tightness in my chest. And I was like, no, it's not that. This is my hay fever. I have real bad allergies. And I was like, chill out. I'm not contagious kind of thing. But the coughing wouldn't go away. I mean, it was a few weeks at the time. I also had a trip planned. I am a proud graduate of Howard University. Mm-hmm. And thank you. It was homecoming down, which is a huge deal for us. It is like a family reunion. Mm-hmm. And so I had already um, submitted and gotten the time off from work approved. Vacation was all I had in sight, cough or no cough. I didn't, I did not care. And so I did make the trip going and coming was horrible. When you're in the excitement of things, I'm popping cough drops and things like that, but I'm enjoying myself. But on the way up, awful. It was Mm -hmm. just terrible. And on the way back. But after I left DC and I came back home, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I really need to go to the doctor. So at this time I'm having to fish out my insurance card. I I hadn't even used it. And I'm looking through the website. Okay. Who can I even go see? I didn't even have a primary care physician at the time, which is terrible, but true. I went to a local doctor here and he was concerned because it definitely wasn't just uh, a cough. He was looking at the condition of my lungs and it had Mm. become so diminished. He immediately prescribed me high blood pressure medicine and asthma medicine. And over the next six or eight months, I would be on so many different medications, so many doses. I passed Mm. out at work. I missed so much work. They were trying to find out what role sleep apnea played into this. So then I was prescribed the CPAP machine. The thing about it is to this day, they have this, another big word um, that I learned, idiopathic. And that's idio, like idiot, which is what doctors have come up with, which means they don't know. They still don't know why an otherwise healthy young woman would suddenly not be able to breathe and would suddenly have heart, heart stoppages which is what it was because I had respiratory failure and congestive heart failure. That's serious stuff. Uh, Yeah. For a 38 year old woman who's never had a health issue prior to that. Exactly. A 38 year old woman with a stressful job and a broken marriage. So it it was Mm -hmm. a lot mentally and physically. Absolutely. So you are going back and forth to the doctor. They're trying all these different things. 
they're not really finding you any relief. And mm-hmm. so I believe you said Thanksgiving of 2017, you have your sweet potato pie in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Is this the beginning of your hospital stay? Or is that just another hospital visit? How did you get to the hospital stay? What brought you in? November, I was there for about eight days. And then in January, March, and then May, I had a three-day stay, a five-day stay, and then it culminated in this 10-day stay where I was in the ICU. And I was having these most vivid dreams, but I honestly thought that this was it. I, I told my mom and my husband, go ahead and make funeral arrangements to tell the family if they wanted to see me, they needed to come visit. Because in my mind, this was it. I, I literally thought it was done. Are you asking him anything at this point? Are you crying out to him for any particular thing, leaning into him as this process is going along? Oh, absolutely. Because I have so many questions. At this point, there are way more question marks than periods. And I am not happy with that. I am not content at all. Mm-hmm. So those first Uh, five days I was in the ICU, which you know, that means all kinds of testing around the clock. You can't get any good rest. You have a very limited number of visitors. You have dietary restrictions. So all of these things are happening. I'm hooked up to every kind of monitor and plug that you can imagine. So Mm. it's pretty miserable. Not to mention they strap an oxygen mask to my face thankful that they wanted me breathing again. At the same time, they tied it so tight that I had a huge black contusion across my nose, which I still wear that scar to this day. I hadn't looked in the mirror, hadn't asked for a mirror, but one of my family members said something like, oh, you know, your nose is looking better. And I was just like, what are you talking about? This is the farthest thing that I'm thinking about, but I have my cell phone and I put it on selfie mode and I look and I freak out like there's this huge huge black mark on my face anyway (laughs) so wow I honestly believe that God allowed that to work some of the vanity Mm. out of my life I'm so thankful of this present mindset so I'm absolutely crying out like I said I'm having very vivid dreams I am praying I'm waking up crying because at this point especially those first four to five days before I really kind of turned the corner, I'm expecting to, I don't want to try to sugarcoat it. I'm expecting to wake up in heaven. Like I'm honestly thinking this is over. I'm in so much pain and confusion that I'm praying for it to be over. I'm actually Mm -hmm. done. Even as a young person, I've always um, had the understanding that, you know, heaven is the place that I want to be. That's when the suffering is over. So I've never really been afraid to die. So I wasn't scared of that. I was ready for this part to be over. It's like, I'm sick of the doctor visits. I'm sick of the needle pokes. I'm, I'm done right. with this. I kept yeah. waking up in the hospital, present here in this life, right around that fourth day, heading into the fifth day. The more the doctors and nurses are talking about trying to get me out of the ICU, downgraded to a regular hospital room. Mm-hmm. Then I begin to say, okay, so you aren't beckoning me after all. You aren't bringing me home you have work for me. So I said to God, okay, let's go. Let's get it. Every person 
who came in my room. I'm talking about the nurses. I'm talking about the housekeeping staff, the nutritional staff, the social worker or caseworker that's dealing with the insurance, every doctor or nurse. I would offer to pray with them. I would ask how their family was. I would speak a word of life into into their life. And that was my thing. Love and light. Speak life. That's also the song that kept playing in my head. I would even play it on the phone. Speak life. And that's the mission I've been on ever since. Backing up just a little bit, when you talk about the visions, were they visions of heaven, of, of God taking you home? What were your visions about? Yes, I actually did have a visitation to an our finite understanding what I can only peg as a kind of an outer court of heaven. It was absolutely gorgeous, Sherry. I'm talking about flowers as far as the eye can see, beautiful color, just the ultimate place of peace that I've never experienced in this life before. So naturally, who wants to come back from that? I'm like, okay, this is it. Let's go. I'm ready. I just felt so at peace, Mm. at calm. At that time, I didn't have any regrets, any worries, anything, just absolute calm, tranquility. And I felt like, yes, this is where I want to be to come back into conscience, into my present body, which is ailing and strapped to all of these tubes. It was a huge letdown. Mm. It was a huge letdown. Well, you've been through, I believe you said two flat lines. They've had to revive you multiple stays, two comas, and I see you stay. You're in a lot of pain. And then the Lord gives you a vision of such beauty and peace. I think you even mentioned at one point you felt the life your soul leaving the body, separating from the body. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? That started at my mom's house. This is Mother's Day at my mom's house um, because I can no longer care for myself. And my husband's working out of state at the time. Mom is caregiver and my sister is helping her. God bless them. And I'm at her house and I can feel my life slipping away. I'm having pretty consistent chest pain. I'm on the oxygen machine, but having very labored breathing. So I feel my breath being taken away. I feel Mm. my life force leaving. If I'm honest, I am a little bit fearful, but more so in a nervous way. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, wait, is this really, really it? And then for a second, the human part of me really kicks in. When I'm speaking with clients, I always say about knowing your purpose and making the most of your life here. In those moments, I was thinking about, man, what kind of legacy am I leaving behind? Mm -hmm. What will folks say at my funeral. So all of those thoughts are working, but my primary focus is on God and me being able to be nearer to him. And even though it was not my time to go to my heavenly home, this process has absolutely made me nearer to our God. And that's why Mm -hmm. I can't help but to have gratitude. Was it something, were you mad at God when you realized he was not going to hold up his end of the bargain after giving you this vision of heaven? In my, what I call my former life, I could be very angry and very uh, boisterous, but even 
throughout my life, no matter what I may have gone through, I was never the angry at God. I'm the, I'm very inquisitive. So I'm the question God. I'm like, okay, why God? Seriously, what's going on? But I was never angry at God, but I was disappointed because I was so excited to reach that level of peace, to see those beautiful flowers, Mm -hmm. to feel that. And then to come back to this, even all along, I chose to find gratitude. I was so thankful for my family members and friends who did call and visit. I have to tell this story and I'm going to make sure that he listens to this show. (laughs) One of my former coworkers who we call each other brother and sister, Hmm. he's a believer as well. We hadn't worked together in, oh gosh, at that point, it had to be four years, at least four years. We would have every now and then just a text, happy birthday, how are you? Hope things are well, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And when I was still in the ICU, I had gotten into this love and light thing. I'm just like, okay, if, if these are my last days, I still, I want to tell people that they need to make the most of their life. They need right. to experience this love and light and spread that message. Mm-hmm. So I was texting people and he was one of the folks that I texted. And most of those messages were, I'm in the hospital. And he was like, what hospital, what room? Mm-hmm. I'm on my way. This is crazy. And that's just one example of a revival of sorts of relationships, being able to connect with people on a different way. I never would imagine that that would have been his response. Mm-hmm. And so I, I used my energy and I stood and still stand on gratitude. Mm-hmm. I was thankful for my mom sneaking cupcakes up to the hospital. So I did not slip so much into the anger, but absolutely the disappointment. But I I had to put a rein on that and quickly flip that right back into that thankfulness, that mindfulness and that uh, and that gratitude. Do you think there was even a grieving process, even if brief, because I think we need to grieve things that are heavy on our hearts or that break our hearts. Uh, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that living broke your heart. I'm just talking about having to come to the reality that this is not going to turn out the way that I really felt it was going to turn out. So was Mm -hmm. there any degree of grieving? I was having a vision or what I do know that I was conscious at the time and, you know, or sleep conscious, I should say. And I felt that I was going away. I felt like I was kind of headed to heaven and Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened, but in the next few moments, I woke up and it was very dark in the hospital and I was completely alone. Mm -hmm. And I looked over at the clock and it was after 2 a.m. and I began to weep. That caused me to breathe erratically, which made all of Mm -hmm. the monitors go off. So then this beautiful young nurse She came in to make sure I was okay. And she wiped my tears Mm -hmm. with tissue. And I'll never, ever forget that. And I, you know, I told her I was okay, but I was really hurt (laughs) that I was waking up again in the hospital. When you are realizing you've been stepped down to a room where you're actually recovering and going to get better, did you make any deals with the Lord? Did the Lord speak to you in any particular way? I knew that I was called to people. And I knew that uh, my purpose was to help people realize 
their purpose, to pull that out of them. And if I could at all help to keep folks from going off the path that I did. When I marked it out on the calendar where I could really see behavior-wise, spiritual-wise, social-wise, where I was really getting way far off track from what I had been taught through the Word of God, my spiritual dad calls it a crazy road. I was going down a crazy road for about 18 months. And so I made it my mission. I really felt a burning in my spirit that I still feel to this day to keep people off the crazy road and to let them walk into the courageous, brave space of plotting your path in God, the things that he wants you to accomplish while you're here on the earth. I did. I I told him that if he was going to keep me here, that that's what I was going to (laughs) do. You speak of crazy road. You know how every town has a main street? Yeah. I think every person has a crazy road of their own that they go down. So Mm -hmm. that's common territory that we've all traveled together. How were you encouraged along the way? How do you find encouragement in the midst of the pain and the anguish and no answers? You're not getting answers. When we chatted before, you said download. You received downloads from God. That's what I feel I receive a life altering and getting on this path, the path mm-hmm. that God wants me to be on. I felt a download. I woke up with it in my spirit that I should be reaching out to people, connecting people, connecting them with their true selves, Mm -hmm. which is living on purpose, living a life that glorifies God. And that's going to be their key to fulfillment. That download was inside of me. That was a driving force that was burning. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that I wasn't going anywhere, I began to make plans. I told my family members and I said out loud, I probably told several nurses and doctors as well that I was going to write a book and I did and Mm -hmm. more to come. Okay. I knew that I will continue uh, to connect with people divinely. It's not just a phone call anymore. It's not just a text message anymore. It's not just a message on Facebook anymore. It's a divine calling, checking in on folks, showing them love, encouraging them, letting know that, hey, if you need a shoulder to lean on, if you want a sounding board, if you need someone to encourage you, I'm here for that. I started that right there in that hospital bed. Before my numbers turn, before things start to uh, look bright, like everything was going to be okay. I started that then. You remind me of Abraham in the morning after God had told him to take Isaac up on the mountain. And oh, yeah. you, he got up in the morning and left. To me, when I hear you say, when I found out I wasn't going to leave here, but I was going to stay, I began to make plans. Abraham got up in the morning and got Isaac, the donkey, and his attendants ready, and they left without further question. Let's go. Yes, yes, absolutely. When it comes to what you do now, the ministry you have now, and what you've been through, what advice would you give to someone to start living life now? Don't wait for a crisis. Get out there and live the life God intends for you. Uh, The number one thing I will say is never too late. Young or old, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you are right now, God is with you. He can reach you. And it's never too late to connect with him in a new way and a real way to get 
your purpose done. All of us have a unique assignment that we're called to complete in the earth. And life is just not worth living without completing that. When we go and meet our maker, we want to be able to say, that we used everything that he gave us. Mm -hmm. So don't waste any time. Don't let your gifts lie dormant and shame on you if you do, because guess what? There's a waiting world who needs what you have. And Mm -hmm. so, No, you may not reach billions. Maybe you won't be Oprah or Bill Gates or Walmart, okay? But there is a group of people that need you. And think about what they will be missing if they don't get you in the way that God intended. So start now. Do it. Do it afraid. Go for it. Share with me and my listeners today, what is something beautiful that God said in the darkest of moments in your pain and suffering? One of the most beautiful messages that I received during those times is that God is not holding my past against me. He loves me. He wants the very best for me. And nothing that I've ever done will change that. No sin that I could have committed in word, thought, or deed could separate me from his love. And even though I was on a crazy road for over a year, it didn't diminish his love. Not one jot or tittle, not even a speck was removed. That sustains me. That warms me. It brings tears to my eyes even now that if no matter what things I could have done that I think are crazy or stupid or I know better, he still has his loving arms around me. And that's beautiful because if we can get our eyes off ourself and being our own God and deciding what is good and what is bad and put our eyes on him who defines us, if we can make it all about him, we can lose ourselves in him and therefore not be remembered by our past or our mistakes or our pain. It's a beautiful reminder of the goodness and the kindness and the love of God. Yes. Artisha, you have been a blessing to me. So I know that you're going to be a blessing to my listeners. And I I deeply appreciate you. Thank you for allowing me to share with you. And you have blessed me just being able to chat, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, For more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark. 